There's a lot of good stuff in here. Reading my Bible this week. Yeah. And uh, there's this verse in 1 Peter 4.10 that says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. To serve others. To serve others. To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And this brings us to the stage of this series on being filled with the Holy Spirit where we talk about uh, the question, how can I know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? And the first message was, well, you'll be seeing the increasing emergence of the fruit of the Spirit. And in this message, you know, I'd just like to tell you that you'll, see, you'll begin to see this kind of wonderful manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit through you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll begin to see an unmistakable manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A fulfilling, wonderful, remarkable manifestation of the gifts that God has given by His Holy Spirit in every believer some gift or some gifts, something inside of them through which He desires to pour out His grace on others. He wants to give grace to the world. God gives grace to the world. God is giving grace to the world. God is not giving judgment to the world. God is giving grace to the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are members of the body of Christ. And as Christians, then, filled with the Spirit, God wants to pour His grace into the world through us. That's an amazing reality. So if you're wondering, oh, You've been talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? You're asking yourself, well, are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control emerge in increasing measure. And second, are you experiencing a fulfilling manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit in your life? Is God doing stuff through you? There are two major passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts. One is in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, you'll want to go ahead and turn there. If not, we're going to put it all up on the screen for you, behind me, so you'll be able to follow along. But here at the Vineyard, like many churches, you know, we, we try to say everything we say from the Bible, rather than, uh, it's too risky making this stuff up as you go along, you know? So <laughs> it's just too risky. And there's so much good truth, and it is truth in the Bible, so we center our messages there, so... If you're newer here, each week you'll see us turn to a passage in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this guy named Paul, who's an amazing figure in the New Testament, God used in so many, many ways, he's writing a letter to the believers in Corinth. Now these Corinthian Christians, they weren't like you. They were messed up. They weren't like you all together and you got it all going on and no troubles at home and nothing weird going on in your head. They weren't like you. They were messed up. And in reality, we can really connect with the Corinthian letters, can't we? We can really connect with the Corinthian letters. And One of the things Paul wanted to tell these messed up believers, it's so important that you realize to whom he was writing and things he talked about in the beginning of this letter that go, ay, ay, ay. But to these messed up believers, he said, now I need you to know something. 
I need you to know about something called spiritual gifts. And so that's how this goes. He says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers. I don't want you to be ignorant. Man, you've got to know this, he says. It's, it's key. I don't want you to be ignorant. We can be ignorant about a lot of things about God, can't we? And not know. I mean, by ignorant, I mean we're, we don't know. I'm fine with not knowing a whole bunch of stuff about God. I'm fine with that, because he's a mystery. But Paul says here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you really can't be ignorant about spiritual gifts, because it's key. It's key to your whole walk with God. He said, you know that when you were pagans, and by that he means before you ever found Christ, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And in a reality like that, you know, we might say, well, we don't worship idols here. Well, come on, we do. They just, we just, we're just not as obvious. Correct? We're more refined and sophisticated. He says, therefore I tell you that no one who says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. No one would ever say that. Because when, you're, when you come in company of the Holy Spirit, you love Jesus. And so you're not going to say Jesus is cursed and be filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And he said, and no one can say Jesus is Lord. I mean, you could say the words, but no one can say it as a living reality in their life except by the Spirit of God. So I ask you, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord? I mean, is he messing everything up? Is he changing the price tags? Is he calling the shots? Is Jesus Lord? That's by the Spirit of God that you can even say that. And then he says now back to the spiritual gifts thing. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there is one Holy Spirit who gives different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. So I have a form of service, and Matt has a form of service, and Jamie has a form of service. We have different forms of service, but the same Lord, he says. There's only one Lord. We're all serving the same Lord. We're all doing the same thing. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men, and in parentheses, women. Okay. Now to each one, to each one, each one, to each and every one, Robin, to you too, to each and every one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Wow, that sounds like a whole mouthful. The manifestation of the Spirit. The showing up of the Spirit. So the Spirit isn't just air that we think about or have a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. <laughs> but it's a manifestation. Something's going to happen through us. The manifestation of the Spirit. It manifests. He manifests Himself. Is given for the common good. So as the Holy Spirit comes on Harry, manifests Himself in Harry, it's not just for Him, but it's for the common good. It's for all of us. The manifestation is for all of us. So in case you're wondering, you know, you know, I don't know how into this Holy Spirit thing I really am. By, by resisting the Holy Spirit, you are holding back blessing from others. Because it's not given just for you, so it doesn't become a personal choice, does it? How much of the Holy Spirit do I want? I want all the Holy Spirit for my sake and for your sake. I mean, for your sake, as pastor, with this strategic spot that I have, you would want me to be fully filled with the Holy Spirit all the time, not just for my good, but for your good. And it is no different for you, because you are placed strategically in your world. You have levels of influence. You have realms of influence that you are either influencing by your own strength or by the Spirit of God manifesting himself in you, at your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. And then he starts, he said, remember there are different kinds. He says, to one, 
is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. Well, that's a kind of a gift. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Now we're going to flip down, because uh, He just makes more of a case for don't compare yourself to others by your gift, because they're all equal. Verse 27, He says, Now you are the body of Christ. And that's a plural you. You, you all, all y'all, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we're all the body of Christ, and D is a part of it. It's a strategic, essential, integral part of it. Um, and in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others. Listen, if you can help others by the Spirit of God, you're on the same playing field as the apostles. You hear this listing? So you go, well, I'm no apostle. Well, what can I do? All I can do is make cookies for my... You're on the, exactly the same playing field. And to those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, and then he says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Hold on to that one. Do all interpret? And the rhetorical answer to the rhetorical question is no. Not, everybody isn't everything. But he gives specific life to each one, but he says, but eagerly desire the greater gift. And now, what happens next in this passage, and the other principal passage for the spiritual gift is Romans 12, and the same thing happens after each one of the passages, and that is he shifts into a talk about love. So right now, he flips into that 1 Corinthians 13. As soon as he talks about all these spiritual gifts, he says, and now I'll show you a most excellent way, and he talks about love. He does the same thing in Romans 12. And so what he's telling us is he's giving, he's giving weight to the, to the idea that the fruit of the Spirit must always precede the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Did you hear me? Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, the first indication of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he says, if you don't have love, don't, don't fool with the gifts. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit beginning to emerge in your life, don't fool with the gifts because the devil's too clever in how he can get you all proud about, well, look at you, you know, and all the kinds of things that can go wrong, and you've seen them go wrong, yes, in the expression of a gift. And he said, uh, it, you know, without love, don't bother. But I, but I think it's so important to realize that a clear indication that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit is that you'll see an unmistakable manifestation of these gifts of the Spirit through your life. Now, what are spiritual gifts, you ask? Go ahead. Good question. Thanks for asking. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities given to us by God to be used in specific ways to accomplish His specific purposes. Did you hear that? Spiritual gifts, this thing we're talking about, are supernatural abilities. Stuff that you can do only by the Spirit of God. That's what makes them supernatural. Some of them, as you can see, have very sort of sort of earthly uh, uh, expressions, but they're still driven, guided, blessed, empowered by the Spirit as you do them. But they're supernatural abilities given to us by God. They're just given. Bam! There you go, Harry. There you go, Seth. There's your spiritual gift. 
They're just given by God to be used in specific ways. Because my spiritual gifts are different than Dora's spiritual gifts, and so our callings are different, aren't they? And we must never judge one another by ourselves. We must never ever judge one another by ourselves, by our own standards, because you've got a different call because you have different gifts. You're a unique person compared to me. And so I can't judge you by my own standard. But they're to be used in specific ways to accomplish God's specific purposes. God has specific plans. Did you get to Ephesians yet, anybody? Yeah? Monica, did you get to chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for Dick Gilmore. And he wants to give you a spiritual gift, and he wants the Spirit of God to be alive in you so that you'll know when to do what to do. And it won't just be getting up every day going, oh, what am I going to do today? It'll be like, Lord, what are you going to do today? Right? So that's what they are. Examples in the, if you blend a couple of passages, a few passages together, there are people who will give you a range of lists of spiritual gifts. These are my favorite 22. My favorite 22. <laughs> Administration, leadership, teaching, giving, helps, mercy, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith, miracles, healing, encouragement. Some people have a spiritual gift of encouragement, don't they? You've been blessed by that person who came at the right time with the right word by the Spirit of God, and God spoke to you somehow through them, and you were encouraged in a way that was beyond the, oh, well, that's a nice thing to say, but you were like, lift it up. Encouragement, knowledge, wisdom, discernment, discernment, being able to discern between good and evil, that which is truly from God, that which is from man, discernment, apostle, missionary, intercession, hospitality. Some people have the gift of hospitality, don't they? I mean, you go into their company, whether it's not just that they make good brownies. They generally make good brownies, but there's something very welcoming and very inviting about that person when you're in their company. Hospitality, evangelism. We're all called to share our faith, but have you noticed that some people are just specifically gifted to share it in such a way that people tend to get saved around them? Yeah, that's a gifting. Intercession. Did I already say intercession? I did. Intercession. Uh, In any case, these are my favorite gifts. These are the ones that I see functioning so broadly in, in the church. And God broadly distributes these gifts according to his grace. These gifts cannot be earned. You know? You don't get like a cool gift package because you're, you're, you're good, <laughs> you're worthy, uh, you're more diligent. You get the gift package that God in his sovereignty and providence and design and wisdom looks at and says, that's, that's how I want to use you, man. I know where you live. I know everybody around you. And this is my gift package to you so that you can use that for those people to accomplish my specific purposes. Right? Because, uh, you know, my gift package, if I lived in your world with my gift package, it wouldn't work, would it? This is my gift package works here in my world. 
And so they can't be earned. They're freely distributed by the grace of God. Uh, one of them is not the slightest bit more important than the other. You know, when I see these guys in here on Friday morning, Saturday morning, sometimes setting up these 600 chairs in here, and when I see them throwing these chairs together, and I hear the worship music on, and these guys, they're just talking and kind of loving each other. You know, that's a gift. That's the gift of God working through a gift called helps. These, these people who are doing this are using their gifting for the glory of God. Now, who is more important, the guy who gets to preach the sermon or the guy who sets up the chair so somebody can have a seat to hear the sermon, right? And you see, there's never not one more important than the other, ever. And these, these gifts are meant to work together. You don't, you don't operate these gifts in isolation, in a vacuum. But your gifting, Matt Corlett, is functioning in concert with the rest of the gifting in your family, in your neighborhood, where you work, and in the church. They're functioning together all the time. There are so many examples in our church that I see these gifts function together. I see these, these missionary teams head off to the Lakota, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, stuff like that. And I look at the mix of people because I always want to know who they are and pray for them and stuff. And I go, Lord, what are you up to? And every mission, every mission trip, I say, what are you up to, Lord? And it's so fascinating just to see the people. I thought, I never would have thought that person would go. I wonder what gifts they have that they're bringing to the show, if you will, to the program that God's going to use to accomplish his specific purposes because they're always meant to work together. I think Karen and I can serve as an example of gifts working together. You see, there are two gifts listed in here. One is administration and the other is leadership. These are spiritual gifts. Now, I have the gift of leadership, not because I've earned it, because God said, you're going to need it, buddy. Where I'm taking you, you're going to need to know where you're going, right? And that's what the gift of leadership is. The gift of leadership says, here's where we should go. I've spoken with God. I've been with the Spirit. I've been in company with the Lord. And here's what I believe. Here's where I believe we should think, I think we should go. People go, how are we going to get there? I say, I have no idea. I don't have a clue how to put the wheels on the car. I just know where, what direction the car should be pointed. That's where Karen comes in. She has the gift of administration. She puts the wheels on the car. She'll be the first one to tell you, I don't want to have anything to do with deciding where we're going. I want you to know this. She, I, I, she, she, I, don't, I don't want to be the one who decides where we're going. You do that, Tom. You go up to the mountain. You spend your time in the tender meeting. And you come back. And you tell us what you've heard. And I will... I will, I will give you my last breath to put the wheels on that car for you. And the, this is, a, this is a, an example of how spiritual gifts are meant to work together. Now, if she starts messing with leadership, we're going to have us a struggle, right? But if I start fooling too much with <laughs> the administration, we're going to have us a different struggle, right? And we should, because we should always, every single one of us should be functioning in the context of our gifting. Does that make sense? Because the critical, of all, critical dynamic of all of this is that uh, God is doing this through us. So whether it's a gift of evangelism, anybody would say, well, God's doing the saving. But what about the gift of health? What about the gift of mercy? What about the gift of hospitality? What about the gifts of encouragement? What about the gift of teaching? What about the gift of anything? It's the same. It's putting ourselves in the place of saying, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I have to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that you can work through me. 
And when you see God working through you in these giftings, it's an indication that the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. Because you can, you can fake stuff that looks like a spiritual gift, but it has no fruit, right? Come on, how many of you? I've been there. Come on, raise your hand. Liar, liar, pencil, liar. So you go, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I think, God, I think this is what God wants me to do. Come on, how many of you? I think this is what God wants. And you gave it, you, you gave it everything. You stayed up late at night trying to figure out how to do it, and it kept going. And you took your hand off, and it went. Right? An indication of a spiritual gift is that God's doing it through you. It's not without effort on your part. I go to bed tired every night. Listen, it's not without effort on your part. But when you take your hand off it, you see that there's an eternal result. See, that, that's the God part right there. Right? Okay. Ooh, yes. I think we have to see that the Holy Spirit has to be living in us before he can be working through us. That's what I mean by that. Some people ask me the question, well, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, will I speak in tongues? There seems to be a lot of fuss about that. Will I speak in tongues if I'm all, all, all the way filled with the Holy Spirit? And um, my answer is maybe. If there are 22 spiritual gifts, which is my number of favorite spiritual gifts, then you have approximately a 4.5% chance of speaking in tongues. You see that? See how that works? <laughs> I mean, did Paul not say, do all speak in tongues with the implication of no? He, and he puts it all on the list. He says, do all do this? Do all this? No. We've got, we got all these spiritual gifts. Why would everybody do one gift? That would be boring and ineffective. So you have approximately a 4.5% chance. What is the gift of tongues? Some of you are asking. You're brand new. What are you even talking about? It's this strange capacity to be able to speak in a language you've never learned. There are three kinds of tongues in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. There is an evangelistic tongue where God poured out his spirit uh, on, on those who had gathered, and they began speaking in earthly languages they had never learned because there was a gathering of many different languages there listening to them, and so they all heard the gospel in their own language, and 3,000 of them got saved. That's one kind of tongue. That's a big day. I've prayed for that gift of tongues when I go to India. I've prayed for that. <laughs> I've stepped up to preach in India and stuff, and I go, now are we going to do it? Am I just going to talk, and people are going to go, I know what he's talking about, but... Hasn't happened yet. I always have one or two interpreters, depending on how many dialects are in the room, which is weird, if you can imagine. It takes you three times as long to preach a message. See? Okay, you got it? Cuts down on your prep time. <laughs> but, but over there, they always want you to preach three times as long anyway, so it all kind of works out to be the same. Anyway, that's one kind of tongue. Another kind of tongue in 1 Corinthians 14 is a prophetic tongue. That when God wants to speak to a group of people, someone will stand up. Maybe Matt will stand up or Sherilyn will stand up. Well, in Corinthians, it wouldn't have been Sherilyn, sorry. But Matt would have stood up, and he would have started speaking in tongues so everybody could hear. And what would have been required then, the Bible is very clear, is what? An interpreter. Because it's just babble to us. It's not an earthly language. It's something else. And so what's happening there is that the people are not getting what God's saying, and so God inspires Rick to stand up and interpret what Matt just said. And then we have the message and see the, work, the, the, the prophets or the gifts are working together. That is also an unusual but still operable type of tongue. The third kind of tongue, which by far is the most common, is one that 1 Corinthians 14 also refers to as a tongue that is between the believer and God. 
This is the kind of gift of tongues that I have. When I praise God, when I pray, I get in many situations where my words aren't adequate to say what's in my heart, express the amount of love I have, or praise I have, or concern I have for someone I'm praying for, and the gift of tongues just takes over. I do not know what I'm saying. I recognize some of the syllables, but the Spirit takes over. I do not know what I'm saying. But I have this sense of deep, deep connection between myself and God that takes me into a new zone. Now you can see why in my ministry having the gift of tongues would be useful. Because prayer is a big part of my ministry, an intercession for you guys. Okay? And so someone with the gift of intercession ought to, ought to desire what he says the greater gift. I do desire the gift of tongues because by it, my ministry is enhanced, God is glorified, he, his specific purposes are accomplished, right? But if you're, you know, if you're a, if you have the gift of mercy, walking up to somebody and speaking in tongues to them probably isn't going to get it, right? Paul says it'd be better if you spoke in their language to them. So I'm just telling you, you know, some people say that the definitive evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit is that you'll speak in tongues. And some people will tell you that until you speak in tongues, you haven't been fully filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that's not in our Bible. There are, there are places in the Bible where people receive the Holy Spirit, and it is not mentioned that they spoke in tongues. And Paul himself says, you know, I wish everybody would speak in tongues, but you don't. <laughs> and I would think that he had such an opportunity to say everybody needs to do this and never did. In fact, he said something like, I wish you'd all speak five words intelligibly about Jesus. Than a thousand words in tongues, right? And so my bottom line on, on tongue is this. Say, what's your bottom line, Tom? You will never speak in tongues if you are not first filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? You'll never do it. But you will not necessarily speak in tongues if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you should not judge yourself by tongues. Tongues is a wonderful gift if you have it and are called to certain ministries such as intercession. And finally, I just want you to know, the gift of tongues and the question of tongues is not a salvation essential issue. Nobody's going to check you at the door of heaven going, speak in tongues for me a minute. It's, it's all about Jesus. And so it's not a salvation essential issue, so don't divide with other believers over it. Let other believers, and maybe, I'm sure there are people in this room who are going, Tom, I've got arguments against what you just said, and I respect you, God bless you. But we're not going to divide over this, right? We're going to the same heaven because of the same Jesus, tongues or not, right? So let's just agree in these areas to disagree because it's not salvation essential. Oh, doggy. Oh, we're doing pretty well. We doing all right? A little more teaching than preaching today. Uh, the essential dynamic of living in a spirit-filled life is that not, God will not only live in you, but he'll live through you. Okay. It's the person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity living inside you going, okay, now I'm going to do some stuff through you. You're not an entirely passive participant. The Bible says, for example, it gives as an example, that the gift of the prophet is subject to the, to the control of the prophet, or the spirit of the prophet is subject to the control of the prophet. So because God has not taken away your will, you do have a part in saying, okay, God, let's go. And every, every Sunday morning, you can imagine, I go, okay, God, let's go preach. And it's got to be you. It's got to be you. And, and so it is subject to our control, but it is still God doing it. The stuff you walk away from on a Sunday, from what I give you, that you keep, 
That's the God part. I want you to forget the rest, okay? But it's that essential dynamic. How do these gifts become operational, you ask? Go ahead. By, by stepping out in faith and acting in ministry. And Casey's getting ready to go around the world for a while, and she's just going to get out there on the limb, and she's going to get in places of like, uh, Jesus, I ain't never been here before, and that's a great way to get your gifts operational. It's great to just allow yourself to be drawn into places by the Holy Spirit where you're just not ready and just not comfortable. Because the more you have to rely on God in any given situation and the less on yourself, the more the gifts will manifest and become operational, right? Right? I, I think I've told you that when I go to India, I'm scared to death. And the second I get on the plane, I kiss the ground when I get back. I mean, I just have this level of anxiety I can hardly describe. But God works through that just by the obedience of the thing, right? Okay. So you've got to get out there. Some of you are ready. Some of you are crusty, aren't you? Some of you are a little crusty. You're going, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, whatever. Let me ask you this. What, what spiritual gifts have you not seen God work through? I mean, you maybe, maybe many of you know what your spiritual gifts are, your onboard gifts, but what, what have you not seen? Why don't you spend a little time in the cave with Jesus and say, Hey, Lord, hey, Lord, I've never seen you heal through me. I've never seen you show mercy through me. I've never, I've never seen you express a prophecy through me. I've never seen you. And fill in the blank of, you get 22 options, right? It's a great, it's a great thing to do. And just say, Lord, I, I'm willing. I'm here for you to express new gifts through me. Well, I told you before that I would uh, share with you some common obstacles to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first two that I gave you two weeks ago was unbelief and unconfessed sin. You have to believe that it is God's will to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You cannot keep sin in your life and expect God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but you've got to be in a dynamic relationship of confession, repentance, and confession with God. The third thing is pride. I think one of the major blockers of people receiving the Holy Spirit is pride. It, and it can look at so many different ways. We men are so, oh, I don't need that. I'm, I don't need that Holy Spirit. I can do that. Let it just point me toward danger. Give me, give me something to do here. Give me a hammer, I'll swing it, you know, whatever. And, and then there's a pride, there's a masculinity issue there that pride wells up. Do you ever notice that when people come and they come so quickly, how many women come compared to men? You guys are dead. You're dead in your pride. And your pride is killing you. Your pride is killing you. It is sucking the very life out of you. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. The Bible says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gentlemen, as long as you sit there dug in, going, I can do this, you're stepping on your own spiritual air hose. You wonder why it's so dry, why it's so sane. Your pride is killing you.
humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. How many men right now would like to come up here and humble themselves? Come. Come. Men only. Just come up, humble yourself. Do whatever's in your heart to do. I, I'm not. This isn't religion. It's God stirring in you, and you just something just landed with what I said. It wasn't me. That's the gift. That's the gift I'm talking about. That wasn't me. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. Your pride is killing you. Your pride is what keeps you in repetitive sin. I can handle this. I can manage this. I can beat this. How well is that working out so far? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Not before me. Before God. There's this amazing wall, wave of God's love. It's like a tsunami. It's like a big wave. And it's it's mounted right up against the front of your head as you're bowed up here. It's just waiting for the first one to fully humble himself, to break it. Gentlemen, I want you to resist the temptation to start making promises to God. That's pride. That's what we do. We promise God stuff we know we can't do. And then we walk away from it saying, I've made my promise, I've made my new promise. If we could keep our word, we wouldn't need Jesus. Humble yourself. Confess your sin to God. Confess. 